Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to The Front Three. It's lovely to have you. And I'm joined by Dave. Dave, welcome. Hello. And How this are you, week, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. And you know why I'm good? Because, uh, well, Adam's in Barcelona, probably taking an E. And um, <laughs> we're, we're back here in England. Uh, Adam's away having a great time. So this week we are not joined by Adam, but we brought in another person to fill in on the front three. And when I say fill in, I mean sub in. Uh, Joel, otherwise known as Miss Seconds. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I hope you do well. Yeah, we are, we are pretty good. We're pretty good. I'm, I'm kind of interested in where you got your name from. Where did you get your name? Oh, it's a, it's a bad story. Yeah. Um, when we started Messy Minutes, uh, I wanted it to be called Seagulls and Trawlers, the Eric Cantona reference. Yeah, yeah. Um, no trawling, But the no other two, because we were making a YouTube show and it was supposed to last a few minutes and Messi's kind of football-y and alliterative. Yeah. And then Messi Seconds just kind of sprung out of that for obvious reasons. And so it's just clickable, um, basically. Yeah. <laughs> are you, are you, you know, a big, are you, like, are you actually a big Messi fan? Is it, was it sort um, of? Not hugely. Not in any, um, disproportionately great because Dave's a big fan of Squawker and that's why he named himself Squawker (laughs) (laughs) that is why Lawrence mate he's through and through I'm going to get a tattoo next year pal yeah 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 yeah, Squacka Dave, and uh, I, yeah, Messi's Messi minutes is obviously uh, the other the other place you can follow. Um, so if people want to find you and they don't know who you are right now, then they just need to search for Messi seconds. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, fantastic. Um, well, it's lovely to have you. Thanks a lot for filling in for Adam this week. Adam's obviously away; he'll be back in time. Don't worry about that. Uh, but there's been a big week of news, so we're just going to get straight into it on the podcast. Uh, check to Arsenal. Brackets confirmed, Dave. Uh, now, I just saw some interesting uh, tweets about this. Someone said, I don't know. I, like They know he's a good goalkeeper, but they don't like when people say um, he's got a winning mentality. And they, <laughs> and they believe it's just because you won something doesn't give you a winning mentality. And to some extent, I agree with it. But what does he actually bring to Arsenal in terms of the tangible things that he'll bring to the back line? Well, for me, it's absolutely massive signing Peter Cech. I've always said Arsenal have had a, a massive weakness in, in the goalkeeping. Thing. Even when they're good Peter goalkeepers. Cech. Even when they are he, good goalkeepers, you're like, he's weak. Yeah, no, no, I, I would say so. You know, the likes of Jans Lehmann, he was a brilliant keeper, but he was a little bit nutty. And I think what Peter really? Cech brings is this calm, calm and influence in the back four. You look at his stats, they're pretty incredible. He's got the most clean sheets in Premier League history. He's, he's got the record in 2004, 2005 for the most clean sheets with 21. He's won that award three times, the Golden Glove. And I just really do think that he's this, this missing link between, between Arsenal being fourth and being top. I think a goalkeeper is absolutely man- massive for winning the Premier League. And I reckon, you know, Joel's probably going to back me up here that he's a quality signing for Arsenal. Um, you've got to be a bit nuts to be a goalkeeper, firstly. Uh, do you remember Otto Burch? He used to have... Um, Someone made like a parody blog of him, of him being really angry all the time when he was in Celtic. That was wonderful. Um, wonderful. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Petacek is a fantastic player. Um, I, I'm not quite jumping on the uh, best signing in history thing. Um, like that really would be mental, wouldn't it? To be to call him the best signing in yeah. history. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But even even that kind of you know Urzel Alexisis 
Alexis-ish signing. Yeah. Um, he's fantastic. He's legendary. He's amazing. Other superlatives. But like, sure, 32 isn't, 33 isn't, however old he is, isn't that old for a keeper. He's getting on a little bit. He has maybe declined since injury. He wasn't great under Vyash Boris's high line, um, which maybe won't be a problem as much next season at Arsenal as we kind of play back with Mertesacker, etc. And he's possibly not 100% needed. He's a, he's a great signing, and I don't think he's a big risk because he's not that much money and he's clearly world-class. Yep. But um, I, I don't think that he will propel Arsenal to some sort of uh, title-winning hopes. Interesting, because you're one of the, the few Arsenal fans that seems to... Well, not few. I mean, I'm, a, I'm not few. an Arsenal fan. Um, one, I guess... Really? Uh, not really. Not really. Really? Because I always thought of you as an Arsenal fan. I don't know why. Is it because you hang out with so many Arsenal guys? Maybe. Um, I think it's because Messi Minutes tweets Arsenal a lot, but uh, I'm always tweeting <laughs> the non-Arsenal stuff. Okay. But <laughs> then, then you're, as, uh, what I'm interested in then is the, the idea, basically, that he, he is good, and, but you know he, he's essentially been behind a very good back line at Chelsea for quite some time and at times has been a little bit flappable. This is going to be quite a different test for Czech. So... Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see de- defensively how Arsenal managed to measure up. And Dave, you were saying earlier today, it's not a terrible idea if they put another good centre-back in front of him to partner one of the two guys. But that, that means they're going to need to build up a partnership in front of him and make it into a unit. That definitely, you know, that's a massive thing. Again, talking about title-winning sides, you've always got a good goalkeeper. You've always got two very, very good centre-halves in front. And I think Arsenal have got one good centre-half in Koscielny, but I think, you know, uh, Gabriel Paliste, you know, can't you know, hasn't hasn't learned English yet. You know, that's going to be a it's going to be he's still got to adapt to the Premier League. You've got Murtasaka that definitely isn't top class. You know, look at the game against Monaco where he was pulled out to the flanks and he was defending in those wide areas and literally just looked like he was on ice skates, couldn't handle it at all. Person mm. who I thought about today was if Arsenal sign Matt Hummels this summer, that will be an ultimate back three. You know, you look at the two centre halves, Hummels and Koscielny complement each other brilliantly, and then you've got Peter Cech behind. That would be an absolute dream combo for all Arsenal fans. One thing that I was just thinking about a second ago, Arsenal signings in like the last four windows, you've got Santi Cazorla, I think it was 2012, then Mezit, who came in 2013, then they had Alexis Sanchez, and now they've signed Peter Cech. That is a pretty decent record, you know, after the new stadium's been built, and you're thinking Arsenal are really building something here. They're gonna, I reckon they'll win the league in the next three seasons. That's interesting, Dave. Uh, big claim. Are you willing to put a €1,000 on it? I did say a thousand euro before. I'm going to change that to a thousand Chinese yen. You know, exchange rates and that type of thing. I was looking at it today, and I think that's the where I'm going to go. You know, I'll be skint if I put all that cash on. Apparently so. Um, but <laughs> I mean, someone who certainly isn't skint right now is Man City, and the fact that they're trying to sign Sterling for such a huge amount of cash. Uh, I've, I've been interested in the last few days. People talking about what he's worth. We discussed it this morning on Football Daily Weekly, um, Dave. And I'm interested to get your view on this one, Joel. Everyone else has had their say. So uh, you know. In what way is Sterling worth fifty million, and is that even the main? Should that even really be the main subject here? I'm not sure there are um, specific uh, prices that you can put on a player. It's it's how much they're worth to a particular club. And when you're looking at Manchester City, who have have really bad structural squad issues. I mean, they clearly have some incredible. I mean, most of their squad uh, is made up of incredible players, but they're all getting on. Um, and they really need both English players for obvious reasons and younger players for also obvious reasons in summer. I, uh, Sterling and Jack Wilshere make like more than sense. There is no one better than they, that they can buy. They can't just buy another five Scott Sinclairs and play them all on the bench. Um, and so to them, yeah, I, I think he's worth that much. That's interesting. Uh, one, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, Dave, you made the point earlier today that basically 
he's worth it to City because of what City spend on other players and, you know, basically the relative market value right now. And, you know, people making arguments about what everyone else is worth. We've heard about his stats. We've heard about all those kind of things. The biggest question is, do you think it's actually a good move for Sterling? I'd say no. I think Sterling needs to play. Like Joel just mentioned there about all these players we've got, like Sinclair, you know, Rodwell. These players were super talented, you know, youngish English players. They all went to Man City and they all, you know, sat on the bench. Sterling obviously is a different breed. But again, I think his development would have been a hell of a lot better staying at Liverpool, playing consistently, you know, working on his finishing, working on parts of his game. You know, he's going to have to go to City and he's going to have to play every week. Is he, he's not going to have a little period where he can go and have an holiday in Jamaica. Is he really? Well, you know, you, I mean, we don't know that. We don't, I mean, you know, if you can afford a private jet, then which you probably will be able to on those wages, then you can afford a, a little holiday anywhere. But I guess the point would be that it's a very different culture at City to the one that was being cultivated at Liverpool by Brendan Rodgers. And a lot of people are saying, a lot of people take for granted the development of a player and that he will just continue along that, um, that, that trajectory, if you like. So I guess the interesting thing is how... City will look to develop Sterling ahead of, you know, other, other players and whether he will get in the squad week in, week out. Um, it's certainly been interesting, interesting to see. And, uh, you know, it, it, Blue Moon Rising TV seem to be covering it pretty much all the time right now. So maybe that's worth a look as well. Uh, now, Dave, news from uh, the Bundesliga. Oh, baby. Jonathan Geether, you know, Joel is going to go mad on this lad. He has joined Schalke. A massive, massive signing for Schalke. But, you know, me personally, I watched Schalke last season a lot. They look like a bunch of headless chickens. They look like they were running around. There was no one controlling the game. They've got a lot of young, talented players, the likes of Max Myler, the likes of Julian Draxler, mm. uh, the likes of, was it Sana that uh, kicked off last season, scored yeah. that brilliant goal against Real. And they really lack this holding holding midfielder slash, slash like centre mid. And I really think Keith is going to be the man to do that. You look at his uh, passes in the Bundesliga last season, I think only one Schalke player completed more passes than him. He racked out 1,155 passes, you know, decent passing stats. Created uh, 73 chances. I think that's the fourth most in the Bundesliga. One thing he can improve on is his pass accuracy. He's sitting at 50, uh, 73%, which is pretty poor for a centre mid. But he is a playmaker. He does try the passes that are not on so much. Joel, what are you saying about him? It's interesting. Um, I think, Dave, you're right uh, talking about Schalke and how they were last season. Definitely, it looked for a few seasons like Jens Keller was just on the brink of being sacked and he never quite yeah. left um, until Di Matteo came in and, and didn't do the, the best of jobs. Um, he's interesting. Um, I, I'm not sure what I think. He's the kind of player that I usually wouldn't like. He's a midfield player um, in like defensive midfield area that takes a huge amount of shots per game, right? If you're 20 years old and you're starting for Mites, who last season, I think, finished seventh or something, mm-hmm. and you're managing to, to always start and to shoot four times per game, that is crazy for a defence midfielder. The number of long balls he tries is mental, but I wonder if that makes him appear a little too active on the ball. Um, I wonder if there are better decisions that sometimes that he um, yeah. could and should make. Um, and certainly, usually, I wouldn't be very interested in, in things like pass accuracy. Um, but when it's as low as, like, low 70s, yeah. you know, you're, you're looking at a potential problem, at least. I suppose you wonder whether that will be honed within a league where the expectation is different on him. I guess, you know, we speak about the, the difference in culture with Sterling and City, whether it's the same with Schalke and, the, you know, the technical ability that they have within that squad, whether they believe that they can get a similar um, product here, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, but he's he's a he's a very different option for them. I, I think he will work. Um, 
their their defensive midfielders a lot of the time last season they just stuck um, three centre backs at the back and two more centre backs in uh, in central midfield. midfield yeah. um, with with Neustadter is he? Is that his name? The, exactly, um, Neustadter. Neustadter, yeah, he's you know very very defensive minded player, passes sideways, that type of thing. That's where I think Giesler can come in and really you know spread it around. He might be a bit of a risk, but I think that seventy three percent pass accuracy will improve. You know, going to Schalke, learning learning a bit more. Uh, you know, changing him. You know, changing going from Mainz to Schalke is a big step up for him. But you know, you've got a lot of young, talented German players there. I really just think he's going to shine. Mm. Oh, well, shine, shine away, Schweinsteig away, if you will, Dave. <laughs> um, we're moving on to United and the possible signing of Bastian Schweinsteiger and Sergio Ramos. Now, we should probably separate the two out and say. The reason this is interesting is because, A, these are two huge names of European football, both with a lot of Champions League experience and both pretty much veterans within their squad. But an even more interesting thing last season, Dave, was that at times the formation that Le Gaal picked didn't look balanced and the team didn't seem to have very much balance. It seemed to inhibit them at times from playing the kind of football they wanted. If they've got to experience guys, or these are the kind of player they're looking to bring in, it might indicate that he's looking to balance out the team a little bit more and maybe take some of the weight off the players who were slightly further forward last season from defending, etc. Um, I mean, it, it's interesting to see that they're targeting these guys ahead of, say, a striker right now or someone else. They're going for Ramos and Schweinsteiger. So, should we go with Ramos first? What are we? What are we saying about Sergio Ramos and the possible ridiculously expensive signing of <laughs> Sergio? <laughs> well, you know, if David de Gea goes and we get, you know, we could bring Matt Ramos in as our marquee signing. Uh, you know, it'll be absolutely fantastic. He is one of the, you know, top five. Centre-half in European football. He's a brilliant ball player. He's really aggressive. He's the type of player that United need, a leader at the back, someone that will take the responsibility. At times, Man United look a bit scared, you know, that the centre-halves had the ball in, in, in their sort of centre-half area and they didn't want to drive with it. They didn't want to, uh, you know, play forward passes or they drive it and then play a backwards pass. And I think Sergio Ramos really does give you that. He gives you passion, he gives you hunger, he gives you aggression. He just has everything in modern centre-half. But a signing at 29... You know how many how many more years is he going to have at the top level? I think with centre half you either go one of two ways: you either lose your pace and you completely lose it, ally when you know when Fernando Fernando sorry, Rio Ferdinand sorry I was struggling for his bloody name then. Ex United player there, just ex ex United player. When when he hit a certain age, he lost his pace and he lost his game. Ramos will he be the same way or will he go down the line of being a Maldini, being a Nesta, improving with age? I think he'll go down that line, to be honest. I think he's, he's a player that came to Real Madrid very raw, very young. You know, he did a lot of problems with his, with his game, and he's really built on that. You know, now he's getting booked less. He's, he's making the sillier tackles less. And I think it's, it's that type of player that, that United might need. Leader at the back, old, experienced, but the question marks are still there whether we are going to spend too much money on him, I'd say. And Joel, Schweine, uh, it, a lot of people are painting him as somewhat of a fading European power, which is maybe a little bit unfair on the, the World Cup winner and still very much a leader within uh, any squad that he'd probably be in. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see the balance of that United midfield with a, a Schweinsteiger and a Daily Blint in there or something, if, if that was the case. Do you even think... I mean, that's the question is, is it worth getting Schweinsteiger or do you think there are better options for United? I think I think it's a strangely intelligent signing. Um, yeah, they're not good well, at those intelligent yeah. signings. <laughs> they're, they're not amazing. Um, last you know transfer think? window, some of those players that came in were great, um, but I think the vast majority of them, maybe the exception of like Daily Blind, um, but the majority of them were overpriced. Like even Di Maria, who is without any doubt, um, well, 
maybe some doubt after this season, but mm-hmm. relatively no doubt, um, a world-class player. Mm-hmm. Uh, 60 million, is he worth that much? It's, it's at least up in the air. Um, a Schweinsteiger that is slightly behind the pecking order at Bayern Munich. Um, to be Diago fair, that is behind, that's behind some great players in the, and possibly yeah. behind a system there. But yeah, of course, he's, he's behind some fantastic players. Um, but Chabi Alonso is included in them. Uh, he's not looking to get into the squad anytime soon. Well, uh, uh, as in like the absolute first team starter, yeah. like what Robin is. Um, he only has a year left on his contract mm-hmm. and he's still a world class midfielder. Um, it, it's quite a Juventus signing. Uh, yeah, it's, it, I think it's good. Or is it quite a Van Gaal signing? I mean, that's that's an interesting uh, angle to take on it then Lumagal maybe wants a player like this within his team that he knows he can technically rely on someone who can tactically switch it up someone who's very good at switching from deeper midfield to more attacking and he's looking to bring in players that maybe look a bit more tactically adaptable because in England you know it's almost the perception is very often you pick your starting 11 and that sort of goes from there and you can tinker a little bit but we've seen a lot of tinkering from Van Gaal and I'm just wondering mm. whether he's looking for players who allow him to do that a little bit more Tinkable players in a way where you've got like obviously Schweinsteiger, Van Hal was the reason why he played central midfield. You know, like you say in Lawrence, who give great tactical flexibility. He could play, you know, he could play six holding in front of the defence. He could play eight being the link between midfield and attack, and he could play ten probably. You know, he's he sort of played ten towards the end of the season for Bayern Munich. You know, popped up with a few goals. He's definitely an interesting signing, but I don't know whether it's the right way. It's I think it's where Louis Van Hal is going to take Man United. Is he going to bring in Ramos and Schweinsteiger? who are sort of older players and Van Gaal will be there for maybe two more years and then we'll get a new manager in or does he want to completely change it up, sign some real young, exciting talent or some players that are probably you know, 23, 24 and then sort of move United on or is it going to be sort of a holding phase, you know, a Mourinho three more years type thing where we'll get the performance levels up really high and then someone will have to come in and breathe some more life into the side. I, I'm not sure. I'll be interested to see think, also I how he aids to... development. But sorry, I think maybe... United oh. will want to get back into the Champions League. I mean, obviously they are, but they'll, they'll want to keep in those spots um, and really confirm them. And perhaps that is more important than other long-term goals. Um, young players would be, be really exciting and interesting right now. Um, but in a, in a period where there's still a, some doubt uh, that United could to get top four in a given season, maybe, uh, maybe it's that solidity um, and that, uh, the reputation that comes with that. Um, that they're looking at. I mean, United are never going to go down the uh, AC Milan, Inter Milano route um, of dropping out of the Champions League. You lose the money, you lose the players, blah, 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 because, you know, Manchester United are a super club. Um, but it's, it's at least a consideration. Mm. And, and Dave, it's been interesting to... You pasted something into our show notes, <laughs> which basically is all of the players United have been linked with. Um, I, I mean, this is... Is interesting. It's also slightly ridiculous because obviously you've been you can be linked with anyone, and it it may not be realistic. But there are some good names in there, and it probably shows the perception outside of United, uh, even if the players don't go in the end. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. You know, I might even go for. I'm going to go for it. Right, let's go with the goalkeepers first. So we've got Sillison from Ajax, Hugo Lloris, and Bernd Leno from Leverkusen. They're the goalkeepers. Right back, we've got Nathaniel Klein, Seamus Coleman, and Fabiano from Monaco, and Gregory Van der Veel from PSG. Then centre half, we've been you know linked with a number of these: Matt Hummels, Otamendi, Ron Vlar. Big shout out to Big Ron, Sergio mm-hmm. Ramos. We haven't in fact been linked with any left backs, which is quite interesting in D- its own right. But, d- but, but Dave, Dave, who would you who would you prefer of all those guys you've been linked with there? The the back four. Would Ooh, you back 
If, oh, if I were to go with two, okay, so oh, three, let's say. Three or two. No, two. two. Just give me two. two. Yeah. All right, we're going to go with Fabiano, yeah. Monaco. Really like him. Interesting. And I would love Matt Hummels. Okay, cool. So, and and but not Otamendi because that uh, if you watch Full Time Devils, that's basically it. Might as well be Otamendi Time Devils. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he's a really good player. You know, whenever I've seen him, he's been pretty classy. His best performance this year came against Real Madrid, actually, when Valencia turned them over. Um, I do think he's a very good player. Watching him in the copper as well, he looks very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, he's decent on the ball. He's just a good centre half. But I think Ham- Hummels. I think ball playing wise is an excellent is the next level. You know, he really is a ball playing centre back. He's so so good on the ball. It's ridiculous, and he's so calm on the ball. I think that's what we need. We need a calming influence, and I think Ottomendi might not bring that. No, okay, fair a, enough. No left back moving into midfield. It's going to be quite interesting there because there are some big and then <sighs> technically gifted names in there. Yeah, right. Let's start with the sort of defensive minded midfielders. Well, the more defensive minded midfielders. We've got Bastian Schweinsteiger I mentioned before, Gundogan, Vidal. Schneiderlin, Bilagli, then more uh, Pogba, sorry, then more attacking midfielders. We've got Schneider, Gatam, Muller, Ronaldo, Firmino, Anderson, uh, Felipe Anderson, sorry, Gareth Bale. Then the strikers, there's so many of these as well. Harry mm. Kane, Benzema, Cavani, Iguain, Baca, and Lacazette. That is the list. Some questionable pronunciation in there of some names, Dave, but I'll, I'll forgive the <laughs> accent there. Um, Liverpool are allegedly in for Firmino now. Uh, what, what what did United want from him? I think they they wanted obviously his goals and assists uh, in the Bundesliga. I think he's been directly involved. Oh, he's been directly involved in forty four goals in the last two seasons, only beaten by one of the midfielders. So that's what he's going to give you is the output. He's so good at finishing. He's so calm. Um, it's quite interesting to watch him in the copper. You know, he's, he's been pretty decent. So you know, it'll be a very good sign for whoever gets him in Liverpool or United. I just question him. Where does he fit in at, at Liverpool though, Lawrence? Well, I, I guess what they're they're looking for there is someone that I guess would be even more aggressive than the players they have right now. But I mean, I'd be inter- like you say, I'd be interested to see where he fits in, considering the allegedly uh, the the amount of competition they have there between Markovic. Although I, Firmino seems to uh, f- fulfil a more central role, which is maybe where Liverpool. I don't know. Don't f- you know? They feel like they've got some some gifted players there, but he looks like he goes into the box quite well. Looks like he finishes quite a few moves. Looks like he's quite good in build-up. So maybe he's, again, another sort of first-team option. Yeah. Sli- slightly more direct than Coutinho. Yeah, I'd say so, definitely. More um, of a finisher and a, you know, in-the-box type player. You know, he's getting you assists in those types of areas. Fashion- so. Fashionably uh, fashionably aggressive, I think, would be the, the answer right now. And sometimes... Yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely a very active player. Yeah, um, which, which is what Brendan Rodgers likes. He loves a good active yeah. player. He, uh, he's, yeah, he's the guy that, that contributes a lot of shots. Um, and that's definitely something United need now. It's probably something that um, Liverpool will need, need yeah. especially if Sterling goes. Well, I mean, it'll be interesting to see uh, how, many, uh, how many shots Liverpool actually get on goal next season if Sterling's not there. Um, <laughs> Dave, uh, what about West Ham signings? Uh, is it Payet or Payet? Which one are we going to go for here? Um, uh, I'd, go, I'd go for Payet. What do okay. you reckon, Joel? Um, I was going to go for Payet, but I guess Uh-oh. I'll do it better than you guys. Hey, uh, whatever. We've all we're all given our slice of Payet. So, Dave, tell me now. <laughs> well, that was, that was worse than some of the Petr Cech things I've heard today. Oh, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Thank you, <laughs> Lawrence. I love it, mate. I love it. But yeah. no, he's a he's a top player. He's he's played obviously Bills as Marseille this season. He's played in a, a number of positions on the left, uh, on the right, and behind the striker. He's just a you know he's an all round top. Top sort of player, very tricky on the ball. 
he's a top bloke as well. You know, good. No, he's not a good guy actually. Yeah, Kick, he's kicked off a bit in his career, which is a, is an interesting thing, and that, I think that's why he hasn't got his big move because he's he's quite a you know a vocal player. When he when he wants to move, he'll, he'll make it very very prominent to people. But in fact, he's created more chances than any other player in Europe's top five leagues. So he's one of those players that can create something for West Ham this in the next season under. Under Bilic, it's going to be quite interesting. It's 134 chances that he created for Marseille, 17 assists. You know, he's a very, very good player, but potentially he's, you know, been linked with West Ham to get another deal a la Sergio Ramos. Joel, what do you reckon? Um, it's an interesting transfer. It's been relatively reliably reported. I think The Guardian have been carrying it this week. Yeah. Um, there's also, well, the rumour is that um, West Ham are putting in a second bid of 14, 15 million, um, and that uh, he'll be offered another contract at Marseille. Um, they're being torn apart this summer, aren't they? They are, aren't they? It's, it's sad. It's after such a brilliant season with like yeah. really interesting football. Paye's possibly going, Imbula's possibly going. Um, Andre Ayu, has he already gone yeah. to Swansea? Yeah. Gone. Um, Morel way. went to Lyon. Yeah. Um, uh, there must be more. You know, you'd poor, expect poor players like. Kulu to probably leave. You know, he's been head, head and shoulders above the rest of the defenders. Yeah, poor Marseille, I agree with you. What's Bielsa going to do next year? He's going to have to do some, you know... Well, he's, he's only on his... It's not a big problem, Dave. He'll be off at least in another season or so. So it's for him, he can pretty much be in um, Speaking of building long-term projects, let's talk Juve signings. Mandzukic. As, uh, is, is Mandzukic a confirmed signing there now? Um, yeah, I think it was confirmed yes. yesterday evening. I think okay. so. Pictures um, on the Juve Twitter. Uh, along yeah. with Pereira, uh, Kadira and Dybala, uh, which is a great name in the first place. Um, so, I mean, that, that, those are some interesting uh, signings there, Dave, to, to counter what most people are billing as uh, the alleged exodus of the summer, which is possibly Pirlo, Tevez and Pogba. Maybe two of those will, will leave. Maybe Pogba, not so much. But this is, again, more re-equipping from Juve with, again, another what seemed like intelligent buying, Kadira, Mandzukic. It, it's just fascinating to see what Allegri is going to try and do with these guys now. It's absolutely brilliant. He's still in the market for an attacking midfielder as well. You know, he's been linked with Oscar, um, I think, recently. But those signings are fantastic. You know, if they're going to lose Tevez, um, you know, obviously a player that can press from the front. Mandzukic is the perfect man. You know, if you're going to lose Pirlo, you've already got somewhere there that's built in that role. And Marquisio can just fit in there play exactly the same as a Pirlo role and you sorted. You know, signing the likes of Pereira on a full, you know, on a full, a full deal from uh, Udinese and then signing Cadera on a free. That, you know, if Pogba goes, they've already dealt with it. And then someone like Dabala, you know, someone that, that literally blew Serie A away in the first half of the season. A fantastic young talent. I think he's, a, uh, he's Argentinian, but he's of Polish descent. You look at his stats at the start of the season, he's brilliant, you know, goals, assists. Really, really talented player. But I think Juve are really going in the right way. They're just, you know... The signings that they've made in the last few years have just been ridiculous. Mm. Uh, Joel, and what do you think of the the general policy that Juve seem to be operating under here? Because, I mean, look, they seem to pair quite well with Allegri right now. It's awesome. They're they're signing... um... So many different types of players. Uh, you would have thought that Allegri would have done such a such a bad job, but he's he's done pretty well, um, especially changing the system, the long term three five two um, to to the uh, four at the back, and then generally two strikers up front that they currently play. Yeah. Um, the the variety of players they've signed that's uh, almost like a clear, but also slightly hazy transfer policy. So some of their players, they buy young players for nothing. They buy Komen, they buy Pogba. Um, some players, they get uh, young prospects and they, they really put the money out, like United did with Wayne Rooney, Buffon, Dybala, Morata. 
Um, and older players for free. Kadira, um, Mandzukic, not free, but but pretty cheap. Mm. I think Mandzukic and Kadira are amazing. I, I think they're still possibly just about world class. I, I think they're both great players. Not a Dybala fan um, myself. Why? But um, <sighs> he's he's, he's, <laughs> very, he's very active. I thought okay. he was very lucky given his shots earlier yeah. in the season. And his, um, when you look at the metrics of how he's contributing to uh, goal difference, as opposed to just the number of goals he scored, yep. um, which isn't always the most uh, reliable of, of counting numbers, um, he doesn't necessarily stand up to scrutiny. I, I mean, he's a young player, so you can never, ever say anything definitively. Um, but I would have other people over him. I'm not sure. I look at, you know, do some, do some basic counting and he's rocking, you know, uh, 13 goals in the league and 10 assists. He's the only player in Syria to to get double figures for those stats, apart from Barabi, you know, a, another talented, talented youngster. Double-double. I've seen him, when, the, when I saw Dybala at the start of the season, he was very explosive and he was very involved, but I think the move that was sort of engineered in January sort of killed him a bit. It killed his season. It seemed like he was like, oh, I've done it now. Maybe that's a problem with that attitude, like you're saying. You know, maybe he, he did it a little bit of luck, you know, whatever, but I really do think he will, you know, eventually be a really, really top player. But it'll be interesting to see how Juve deal with him. I think Juve have got one of the best records in getting these talented youngsters to being world-class stars. And I think that's what we'll probably see with Dybala in the next few years. Let's finish this section with a question about Danny Ings, because as if no one has spoken about him enough. Um, obviously, it's interesting to see what he's going to be doing on the pitch next season. But off the pitch, he's picked number 28 within the squad. And he said within that, it's because he didn't want to pick a number uh, which maybe he didn't feel he'd earned yet, or at least words to those uh, to, to those effect. I mean, it's quite an Very. interesting approach, isn't it, uh, Joel? I, I mean, at least he's not going in there and going, give me the nine. I suppose he can't have the nine or ten because Liverpool have got those numbers filled right now. But it's still interesting to see that, you know, he's he's going to be rocking that 28 again to just uh, just to see what, what happens and see whether he earns a number above that. It's a very English thing to care about. Um, Do you think... Yeah, well, well, yeah, but he's a, he is English. I mean, they, they, I mean, know, in Italy, just... in Italy, they'll pick whatever. Is is Shirari still El Shirari still rock, rocking ninety two, ninety two, ninety one? Yeah, ninety two. Yeah. Some somewhere ridiculous. Ronaldinho um, had like a did he have eighty eight or ninety? He had something ridiculous for a while, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, something crazy. Um, yeah, uh, the the idea that young players have to like earn their place um, is something that seems to be quite popular among Liverpool fans. So you know. It's a, at the very least, it's a nice PR move. Um, Does that mean he's maybe... three better than Sterling? That's <laughs> <laughs> all I'm wondering. I like, but I'm, what, I am, what I am wondering is, what would your number be if you if you were to take a, an obscure number? What would you go for? Sixteen. That's not obscure. That's an absolutely normal <laughs> that's, number it's, to take. It's the number I'd go for. Okay, but what what if, what say sixteen was filled? So you know, you, you've come to a side, and Didi Haman's already there. What are you doing? <laughs> what number? Oof. Come on. Uh, 61. It's 16 backwards. Oh. Oh. oh, oh I was brilliant. pressured into it. This. Hold on a minute. Do we have to get Adam back? Because I reckon this is a pretty good... Okay. No, I'm being told in my ear we do actually have to. He's contractually obliged to bring Adam back. But that's a great answer. Um, Dave, Dave, what are you going to go for? I'm going to go for 45. Why? Uh, it's just the day I was born, the fourth, and then the, the fifth the month year. of the year. Sorry, guys. Dead boring. But that has always been my number. Yeah, you and uh, basically Mario A Bellatelli. lot of other people. Yeah. Oh, yes, get in. That's a good point, actually. Um, I'd go even higher than that. I'd go, I'd go more obscure. I'd go Italian obscure. I'd go like 83 kind of area. Okay. Um, that was that my, the house one. number of my grandma as a child. 
No, oh, mate, you've nailed it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, and the Italians love that sort of shit. So, um, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, let us know what your numbers would be. I'd be really interested to know <laughs> what you go for. 99, by the way, you probably shouldn't have. I'm just saying. Can you go? You can't even go to it. Can you go to 100? Can you go above 100? Or does it just go zero? That's a good question. That's a good question. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, uh, there's going to be someone who's dedicated enough for the podcast to look it up. Um, I hope so. I, yeah. I can't wait for that. Because I won't. Anyway, uh, that's the end of part one. <laughs> part two, we're going through your questions. Leading into part two, and we're going to go with Joel first. Joel, um, the question arose as to who you actually do support. Uh, so who do you support? It's, it's not the kind of answer that I think football fans want to hear. Um, All right. I, I don't really support anyone. I mean, I grew up going to the Emirates a lot um, yeah. because a lot of my friends supported Arsenal and I, I went to quite a few away games because that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. But I'm from Cardiff, so Cardiff City. I work at Bristol City at the moment. The work that Brentford and Michelin are doing in statistics is inspiring. Um, but I probably watch more Schalke, Bayer Leverkusen. Um, Interesting. So no one, no one really. Who, so does that mean? I mean, really, for me, you support a team if your heart beats faster when you see them play. Uh, so have you, do you have that experience with more teams? Like, because I'm obviously, you know, I grew up as a Liverpool fan, and you know that means that I am now dedicated to them for a weird human reason, which Ted probably explained in one of their talks. But like, <laughs> why? You know, who who gets your heart beating, or you know, do you literally get excited by going to see Bristol City now, even though you had no affiliation to them that long ago? It is interesting psychology, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, no, I, I guess I don't have that team. Um, I went around Europe uh, during the World Cup watching like Germany and Germany, France and France. Um, and being there and being part of that community, that spectacle, that's awesome. Like I watched the 7-1 Brazil game in Munich um, on their central street. That was incredible. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think I can generate a, a one night love affair with a team without going longer term. Good God. You're a one-night kind of guy. Uh, something yeah. I never thought I'd hear you say. You look like such a wholesome chap when you're chatting around your YouTube channel. And now I find you just, you wake up and you throw Germany out of your bed come the morning. Don't tell the girlfriend. Yeah, I, I definitely won't tell the girlfriend you've slept with all of Germany. Um, anyway, uh, fantastic. Uh, let us know who, uh, whether you guys got a similar relationship with certain teams. Obviously, uh, you know, there are other sports that we dip into. I dip into basketball, uh, picked up a couple of teams in there, et cetera, et cetera. So it's going to be interesting to see what you guys uh, have got as, as an experience as well. Uh, it's it's a very modern experience, although I am told in the past that, you know, I mean, I know someone, another uh, YouTube channel who when they he's much older than me, but when they got when he was younger, he used to get tapes of Ajax sent to him by an Ajax fan, which was taped oh. on VHS. And therefore he built up somewhat of an affiliation with Ajax. And I imagine that there's a similar relationship now, but the internet is so transient. It does sort of allow you to dip in and out. Um, but anyway, yeah, let us know. Uh, speaking of transient relationships, Dave, um, th- there are there are some transient relationships to the championship that some people have. West Brom enjoys such a relationship. Derby did just a few years ago. Norwich City, etc. And the first question comes from Cameron, who says next week's question should be, who do you think will get promoted to, from the championship next season? You think managers are important in influencing this? I really, really do. I think it's it's probably the hardest division in the world to get out of. You know, it is, it's so competitive. There's so many teams that could go up. There's so many teams that can go down. And I really do think the manager is so important. You know, you look at the likes of Bournemouth that essentially have spent a few pounds uh, in the last few years. But Eddie Howe, the job that he's done, you know, obviously before he left to Burnley and when he came back, it's just been pretty phenomenal. Really interesting. You, you watch him on um, Gary Neville's, Gary Neville and Jeremy Carragher's 
show on Monday night on, on Sky Sports. And yeah. he was really brilliant. He was really informative. He was really exciting. I think that's, you know, it's, Really, that's the kind of thing. He's, he's a he's a player that fell out of the game through injury and has really learned. And I do think you know the managers bring that. You know, you look at Watford as well that got promoted. You think it's a manager that was um, in that season. It's Jankovic or something like that. Mm. He's got the best record uh, in terms of win rate in Watford's history as manager. You have got some pretty decent managers in that history, like Gianluca Vialli. You got um, uh, you know, Aidy Boothroyd, Malky Mackay, Brendan Rodgers, Sean Dyche. Gianfranco Zola, you know, he's eclipsed all of these managers and he's really, you know, he really forced them up, got them up. That's why I think next season, promoted teams are going to be Derby, because obviously Paul Clement, I reckon Borough, because of Karanka, and a kind of other wild card, Birmingham City. Not, not directly because of, you know, the size of the club and that type of thing, obviously being in the Premier League for, um, you know, a certain certain amount of the years, but Gary Rowett's done a really good job since he's come in. I think their their form after the second half of the season was absolutely phenomenal. So I reckon potentially they're the three teams that I think are going to go up. Joel, what do you reckon? I think I think that's a, a pretty good throw. Um, Middlesbrough played fantastically sometimes last season, uh, mm. particularly against Brentford. They were wonderful. Paul Clement, very interesting at Derby, um, who has some wonderful players. Will Hughes is incredible to watch, and I'm yeah, still convinced really is, that he, he will consistently make the England team in the future. Do you, th- do you um, think he may be pulled away from Derby, though? Is that the worry that if Derby, if, if they don't go up soon, then um, you know someone will pluck him away? Hasn't he supposed to have been pulled away from Derby for like the past three years? Well, Derby are doing a good job of keeping hold of him, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got to imagine that he'll leave at some point. Um, but he is still young. Unless Derby, of course, do go up. I mean, you know, Derby, we do forget, somewhat of an institution within football at times. Mm. Um, and, you know, they, they are somewhat of a, a sleeping giant, not to use too much of a cliche. So, yeah. Mm. But, but Sorry, Joel, I cut you off mid-flow, really. Um, well, I, I'm biased. Uh, so you're not going to get any interesting championship predictions off of me. I've got to go for Bristol City because I work for them. Cardiff City because I come from there, and Brentford because the work they're doing is incredible. Can you can you justify any of those? Can you realistically say that those guys are? You Brentford know, are... could definitely do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Brentford could definitely do it. What, what's your, what's um, your reasoning behind that? Because there are going to be a lot of people listening to this that maybe don't get so much access to the championship and maybe don't know when you say the work they're doing what you mean by that. Okay, um, so uh, Matthew Benson, uh, Matthew Benham, sorry, um, who is a wonderful man who took physics at Oxford and run a um, ran a and continues to run um, a betting company and invested in Michelond and Brentford and they are running those clubs primarily on the basis of statistics mm-hmm. um, as opposed to at the moment where people think of stats in football and they think of like Liverpool signing Andy Carroll um, which is <laughs> it's not exactly a great poster boy um, at, at I suppose a the flip of, clubs, of that is Suarez though isn't it? it is that people you know they, they, they I, sign I, I Suarez suppose, and but then the, the reverse flip of that is Stuart Downing and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Their, their signings haven't been incredible in the last five years. Yeah, um, at a lot of these clubs, the analytics team are like a few nerds in the basement that occasionally pop up and speak to the management. Um, and that's like fantastic. But when you have management and managers, et cetera, that aren't really statistically literate, they're not going to take those suggestions. And even if they do take those suggestions, because they might not be statistically literate, um, they might not know which data lists are good and, and which are bad. Um, you have a sort of lemon and peaches problem, as Daniel Altman so wonderfully put it. Mm. Um, and so you have questionable data analysis going, uh, going along at the moment in football. Brentford and Michelin are changing that. 
um, for them, they don't have a manager. They have a head coach um, and everything from set pieces to transfer policy um, to the sacking of managers uh, is governed by the numbers. It's, it's, it's certainly interesting to see the approach because that also, I mean, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the kind of football that they play because of that, isn't it? And what, what kind of style you represent mm. on it and what therefore that maybe that brings out of, of the team that you then construct if, if that makes Brentford sense. Fans, uh, Brentford fans are known to love beautiful football and it's the style of football that Brentford have played for a while. Rasmus Ankerson, who is um, one of their two directors of football, co-director of football, um, has stressed several times that they'll continue to play beautiful passing football next season. Um, so hopefully the cold, sober look at football won't result in cold, sober football itself. Interesting stuff. Uh, Dave, uh, we'll, we'll probably move on to... Would this be a possible Man United team? And do you think it will happen? Uh, again, Dave, going with a very visual question this week, Dave. Oh, I do like his team. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Shall I read it out for everyone else who can't see it right now? Yeah. We've got Hugo Lloris in goal. We've got right-back Seamus Coleman, centre-back Sergio Ramos partnering Matt Hummels, left-back Luke Shaw, defensive central midfield, we've got Daly Blind and Bastian Schweinsteiger, Ander Herrera at the peak of that triangle, and Di Maria on the right-hand side, Lacazette through the middle, and yeah. Memphis Depay on the left-hand side. Yeah, 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 I yeah, think yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. is a brilliant side. P- apart from the lack of true defensive midfielder, I'd say that Daly Blind, when he's played in central midfield, has been pretty decent at moving the ball side to side. Maybe not incisive as enough. Defensively, he's very good. Then we've got Bastian Schweigersteiger, the other holding midfielder, and Ander Herrera. I'm not sure if that midfield works together. There's a lot of passes there. I don't think there's enough uh, brute force in a way. You know, not that Fellaini is the answer to things, but I think you do need a physical element in your your midfield. And I think you know someone like uh, Krahowski or um, someone on, on on that sort of. Estelon, maybe even um, forgotten his name, Morgan Schneidling could come in there. But I do like the fact that he's gone with Seamus Coleman at right back. I think that would be a brilliant signing. And we mentioned Ramos before and Matt Hummel's definitely in there. Hugo Lloris, a perfect replacement for um, David De Gea. And then the front three that I would love to see, Angel Di Maria, Lacazette and Depay, such fluidity up there. This is a pretty good team, but I can't really see United moving on Seamus Coleman. I can't see them getting Sergio Ramos. But Bastion Schweinsteiger, Hummels, Lorries, Lacazette could happen. Mm, it's quite. It's an interesting one because it would also mean a lot of changes within a side and a team gelling 
very quickly. Yes. Um, very, very quickly. I'm in- interested to know your opinion. This is maybe old news by this point, but um, goals and rumours, uh, Joel, saying is Neymar's full batch- match ban justified? And would it be the same if it wasn't for Neymar? Some people on Copper 90 are making the point that they think there's a bit of a, um, a, 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 a vendetta, if you like, against mm. Neymar, which I'm not quite sure I agree with, but yeah. Yeah, what's what's the logic behind that? Well, the, the logic is he's great, Joel, and therefore uh, people will <laughs> want to bring you down because you're great. Not that maybe he is at times uh, going to do something wrong, and therefore will probably uh, you know get get a four match ban because of what he did. Hmm. Uh, I mean, it's an interesting rhetorical line. I think you could also maybe say that referees might want to keep out of trouble, um, and because of that, not send off players like Neymar. Um, I, I'm not sure why it necessarily holds true. I mean, he headbutted a guy. Like he has more yellow cards and red cards, I think, than Pepe does in the last three years. Good God! Um, Although Pepe has really cleaned up his act. So I've got a fantastic stat here, Joel. This is Joel's stat that you just read there. So since 2009, Neymar's received 100 yellow cards and six red cards, whereas Pepe has only got 77 yellows and five reds. You say that only. Facts, Joel. You say That's only. Brilliant. Both of those are quite high numbers and they are within another <laughs> echelon of player receiving red and yellow cards. But, but still, Joel, it's about the justification of it. And, and I guess what I'm worried about is the, uh, I mean, I know that it is somewhat of, um, you know, we, we're obviously moralising within this. But part of it is you have to operate within the rules. And some people would say, you know, if you headbutt someone, uh, it, you know, you deserve a four match ban. Um, <laughs> there's not really much yeah. more to add to that though I mean that's the problem isn't it is that you know we, we love to moralise in England about these kind of things but I don't, you know I don't really know what more there is to it he's operating within the rules it's the same as when Luis Suarez handballed it at the World Cup he got he got sent off and you know that's operating within the rules yeah I'm not really sure where the um, where the grey lines are well um, although there are quite a few grey lines out there um and we, that's probably why we have a podcast. So, um, <laughs> uh, interestingly, here um, th- uh, this is an interesting question. I'm not sure it's one we can actually answer, unless, of course, Dave, you have uh, a crystal ball. Um, do you think? And this one's from Vault Dweller. Thanks, Finbar McMahon. I want to say. Uh, do you think we'll ever see a goal return from a player on the Messi Ronaldo standards? I'm going to say yes, and then throw it out to you guys, uh, d- Dave. I am also going to say yes, but I reckon it's going to be maybe 10, 15 years between this individual arises. You look at both of their, um, you know, Messi and Ronaldo's goal scoring records, they're near one, one goal a game, which is absolutely ridiculous. You're looking at probably, if you're a really good striker, like a Higuain, I think he's he's probably around the 0.6 mark, you know, 0.6 goals per game. So having it up to one is absolutely fantastic. And that's why I think that it will take time, but it's going to, it's going to have to be, you know, another type of player. You know, obviously you see Messi with his brilliant talent and Ronaldo with his, obviously, his development as a player who's been fantastic. It's going to have to be... Imagine the mixture of both of those. Then we're going to have a player that's going to eclipse that. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess also because of the structure of the game, the way the game moves forward. You know, the, obviously it's evolving in a sense. I guess the problem is that we... Um, and this is maybe going a little bit too theoretical, but we do have somewhat of an idea of football where progress is always happening. And what we don't maybe see is that sometimes uh, progress isn't just a straight line between scoring more goals and scoring less goals. And there may be some progress in between that where someone comes on and actually plays better team football in a sense, or yep. enhances the team in another way. Uh, and I guess, Joel, maybe you'd be an interesting guy to talk to about that because statistically, uh, or at least analysis wise, you're going to be looking at more than just a player scoring goals. Yeah, I think um, generally 
<laughs> it's a very strange thing to say, but I think generally goals are overrated in football, or at the very <laughs> least, at the very least, the idea that a particular goal return um, is representative of a great player of value. I think is, yeah, it's misleading. Tell that to Sammy um, Letter. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think about this story, eh? You'll be well upset with those comments. <laughs> Good point. I think about the same as Dave does. <laughs> yeah um yeah good uh well done guys i think we i think what we did there was we answered that question and managed to sit on the fence just enough dave uh do you have any questions <laughs> any questions oh yeah. i've got one for you loscast an absolute corker coming in from hold on let me just scroll down i can't find the question it's all over the place here we go from luca go on luca at dream un- shake and he goes for how long until Benitez gets sat by Real Madrid as the first part and mm-hmm. returns to Liverpool? Loscast, what do you reckon? Uh, do how you long want... is he going to last? This is a two-part question, isn't it? And I was thinking about this because uh, not long ago we did talk about the Benitez situation and you know how well he fits in at Real Madrid. I mean, people speak about him being a Madridista, those kind of things. But very often we've seen that the, the narrative for Benitez has not always worked out so well for him. Um, you know, even at Valencia, when he won the league with them, he left somewhat under a cloud because he wanted a lamp and they got him a sofa or something along those lines. And um, the question here is, is you know, how, how much damage has been done to Benitez's A, reputation and B, management uh, acumen and skills in the time that he suffered from Liverpool uh, through to Napoli, where people argue that he underachieved, etc. And how much of that is just perception of media? Um, and how much of that is also English media looking in on a, a very foreign culture and a culture which maybe we don't understand as well in England or maybe slightly resent um will he be sacked by Real Madrid the likelihood is yes but because he's a Madrid Easter will he end up leaving maybe in a uh, a slightly more uh, respectful way possibly so um the interesting thing is will he have the squad which then equips him as a manager and his style of play or will he adapt in a way um and go back to maybe what he learned in his early management years um uh, it's going to be interesting to see. We haven't seen the way that they've managed to play yet, but there's already rumours about people being discontented. Obviously, Ramos wants out. Um, if that is true, then you know that's another hole for Benitez to fill. Who's going to sit central midfield, which seems such a key position mm-hmm. for him? Uh, you know, he doesn't have the likes of Alonso there. He doesn't have a Mascherano-esque player who's going to run around and go crazy. And they've let Kandira go on a free. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what he builds, who he builds, and who he tries to bring in. Um, it's going to yeah, let's put it this way: if we if we look into the future, you'd love to see Benitez put it side together to play great football. Yeah, it's quite interesting because like one one more question for you, Lars, is like sort of you know under at Liverpool, Benitez they were quite like they were they dominated centrally in terms of they had Mascarano, Alonso, Gerard, Torres through the middle, mm-hmm. and the wingers were a bit on the peripheral. You look at Gareth Bale and, and, you know, his season he had last season. Do you think he's really going to sort of come back out of his shell in a way under Benitez? Although I do think that, you know, Benitez has shown in his career that he can appreciate a winger. He can can definitely appreciate a creative player who's dedicated. I mean, you know, you look at Vicente, you look at Aymar, you look at Gerrard even being pushed out to the right wing. And the the fact that he wanted to influence things from out wide, but maybe Liverpool never bought the quality out there. So it's not that he doesn't value it. It's that I think, you know, very often he doesn't find himself equipped with great wingers, which now he finds a plethora of at Madrid. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how, because, you know, we've always seen tactically 
he's a very, uh, he, you know, essentially knows his stuff, but his man management is not as great. And that's where it let him down, you know, when we saw Bale rip apart uh, Benitez's back line. Um, and, you know, Liverpool at times found out when, you know, maybe the man management wasn't so great. Yossi Benayoun claiming he was bullied towards the end of the time at Liverpool. So there are things in there which I think a lot of people want to see him trip up on. You know, there are people putting stories in the press uh, of you know, uh, Ronaldo is not happy with Benitez being the new manager, et cetera, et cetera. But it's going to be interesting to see what kind of Rafa Benitez goes there. I can, you know, I can see him being sacked at some point, but how respectful you, we have to be at Benitez and how the perception maybe influences our look into the future is an interesting one. I'm going to reserve judgment on this one. I, I think he'll do a good job with this side, but I think it's going to be interesting to see who he gets in the summer. You know, we've not even seen the transfer window open. Who do you get in defensive midfield for Real Madrid? Anyone got big an answer question. That? Big, big question. You know, the likes of... Go on, Joel, shoot up. Uh, Luis Gustavo. Um, I think the best two defensive midfielders in the world for me um, on a longer-term basis are Gustavo and Busquets. And you're not going to get Busquets. I'd love to see him back in the Premier League. Do you remember that? Um, was it Was it 2009 he made that rant about Ferguson and the fixtures list? Well, it was just since then that people seem to have not appreciated Rafa as much. Oh, so, well, you know, I can't speak Italian. I, I don't know if he's, he's ranting and raving over there as well. Um, but it would be fantastic to see some more of those. I think I've, I've, having spoken to people quite close to Rafa, I think it, uh, there, there was a lot of difficulty in leaving Liverpool. It seemed like quite a traumatic process for him because, you know, it really felt like a place that he was emotionally attached to. And he found it difficult the way that the owners didn't seem to value the things that he said at that time. And what he wanted to do. So I think he's, you know, he's always had, he's not been great at politics. And I just wonder what the fit is at Madrid. You know, he doesn't have to deal with the politics in the same way because of his understanding of Madrid, because of his understanding of the system, because of the way he fits in. Will that mean that he'll feel more at home and he won't feel like he has to prove himself in the same way? It's going to be interesting to see. The inside track um, is one that you could probably go for from maybe a Guillaume Balaguer, someone like that. But I, I know I, there are a lot of people who have it in for him. There are a lot of people that want to see him do well. I'd be interested mm. to see how he utilises those wingers and the strengths that that Real side has. Because if there's one thing Benitez is good at, is looking at the, the strengths of a team and then bringing those out. And, I, you know, if he gets a central defensive midfielder and another centre-back, I think we're going to see a, 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 a side that could challenge the league. Definitely. I think that, you know, someone like uh, James Rodriguez under Rafa Benitez is a match made in heaven. You know, you you speak about the, the work he's done with attacking midfielders in the past, you know, one matter centrally at Chelsea is best, statistically his best season ever. You look at Gerrard playing that attacking role for Liverpool. You look at Pablo Amar for his Valencia side. He's got a real history of getting a lot out of attacking midfielders. And I really do think James Rodriguez is going to have an absolutely wonderful year. Yeah, if, if again, Benitez can build up a relationship with these guys, then we're looking at a, a, a good team. And, I, you know, I think... That's going to be interesting because he's he's also going to work the players differently to Carlo Ancelotti. Ancelotti's very laid back, uh, not particularly intense in training, apparently, and very much a, a backseat runner, you know, essentially an Italian, um, not not in a disparaging way. Um, but this is going to be a very different Benitez who demands a lot more from the squad. And I wonder who's going to react well to that within this Real Madrid side. Um, got a question for both of you guys now. Uh, Andrew Goulen says, um, who are the five young players that could make a big step up next season in the EPL um, Joel I'll come to you first on this one if you're asking the PFA young players could be like Wayne Rooney still probably um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm not really sure where the definition ends um, I, I think Liverpool 
bought fairly well and haven't been given credit for it last transfer window. I mean, you, you've got players like uh, Markovic, like Emre Chan, who are both wonderful talents. Um, and the idea that they should hit the ground running in the first season, like it'd be nice, but I'm not sure it's a necessity. Obviously, some of them went much less well. Balotelli, Lovren, uh, Lambert was never going to set the world on fire, but he wasn't really supposed to. So I'd go firstly with Emre Chan and Markovic. I think this year could be Yanazai's year as well. Um, and then after that... Can I stick in Coutinho? Does that count? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I mean, gonna, can, I guess you can. I mean, they, I like. I'm interested in Liverpool's young guys as well. I mean, uh, Jordan Ibe, Emre Chan, and Coutinho. The, you know, the three guys that everyone seems to list from Liverpool are three big talents. And Dave, I mean, just tonight you were saying. I mean, this looks interesting for Liverpool's midfield dynamic. And Emery Chan has said publicly that he's been basically told he will play in his stronger role of the midfield yes. um, by Brendan Rodgers. Um, that you know, he's he's sitting for this under-21 German side. Um, and that's what Liverpool have lacked, is is the kind of player that um, Brendan Rodgers thinks is his perfect central defensive midfielder. Yeah, it's, his role, as the game's gone on, obviously he got it on the background, he's sort of moving on into more of a you know, box-to-box role, holding a bit, attacking a bit. And yeah, I think that... But that's Emre possible Chan, at under-21 level, isn't it? I mean, that's a very different... Le- yeah, but it's possible I think if, it, if the midfield works with Liverpool, if I'd go for the midfield diamond, I think that was fantastic for Liverpool. And potentially, you know, if you're going to have Chan holding, have Chan holding there, then you've got Milner on one side, Henderson on the other, and then Coutinho behind the two strikers. And I think that would really work. You know, the likes of Henderson working back for Chan when he decides to burst forward and... That's everything. I think it's a big, big year for Chan. I reckon Jordan Ive is going to have another big year. You know, he's got to step up. Sterling's obviously off. Um, I'm going to mention the Ox as well. Oxlade-Chamberlain, I thought at the start of last season, he was arguably one of Arsenal's best players. It was him and Sanchez that were ripping it up. He got injured, fell out of the team. But I think it's, it's his time to shine. And then I'm going to go put Man United hat on. I think two players that are going to really come out this season, one of them being Paddy McNair. Every time that he played for Man United, I was very, very impressed. I was very impressed when he played against Chelsea. But he, his, his confidence on the ball is brilliant. There's a brilliant article in the uh, the Belfast Telegraph, obviously quite a niche niche paper. But well, just for Belfast, about, Dave. Just for Belfast, yeah, yeah. obviously. But get, check out the, the interview. He talks about how Paddington there, uh, when he was a lad, used to practice a lot, you know, four or five hours after after school and that type of thing. And he used to just kick the ball at a, at a wall over and over again. And I think, think players like that, with composure, with dedication, I really do think he's, you know, Van Al has seen something in him. Obviously, he was hauled off against Southampton. He was hauled off, you know, before half-time against another team. But I think he's going to come on. Another one I want to go with, Andres Pereira. Obviously, um, brilliant player for the under-21s last year. Um, was the reserve, player, reserve team player of the year. You look at his contribution at the under-20s World Cup. Andres Pereira was directly involved in more goals at the under-21 World Cup than any other Brazilian player. So Brazil got to the final and Pereira registered two goals and two assists, scoring or assisting a goal every 70, about every 74 minutes. And whenever you, you, you know, you watch him against, um, I think it was, it was maybe not, not, yeah, obviously when he came on against Serbia and he came on against somebody else and he really changed the game. Brilliant, brilliant performance. And I think he's going to explode for Man United. He's been playing sort of a, a left-hand side role for Brazil where he's drifting into the 10 slot. Played that for United this year. He's got a brilliant delivery from set piece, you know, corners, corners, um, and free kicks against the game against Chelsea in the 21s that was on BT Sport. He took, I think he scored a direct deflected free kick and then whipped in another free kick to you know win United the game. And I think that's what Pereira is. He's a sort of game changer, and I do think he's going to come you know come for the forefront of Man United this year. Anyone interested in the Serbs obviously winning the uh, under twenty World Cup? 
It's quite interesting, isn't it? Because they won that, but then at the Euro under 21, they're doing atrociously. So maybe all the talent that are in that pool are playing at the under 20 tournament. I don't know. But no, they've got some talented youngsters um, there, definitely for sure. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they develop. You know, is Serbia going to come back and be strong again? Mm, Andrea, Andrea Shivkovic, uh, particularly, is a player that I've watched probably too much, um, given how. But I mean, he, he only plays for Partizan, so you can't watch him that much. Um, but he's he's captained. Has he captained the Serbian national team already? He's he's certainly the captain of uh, he's certainly the captain of Partizan at just 18 years old. I think he still is, and as an attacking midfielder that doesn't have a massive physical presence. Um, I've found out recently. I'm not really a football manager player, but I found out he's a one to get on there. Um, I've been watching him a little longer than that. I, I can I can hipsterly say, um, but yeah. Uh, definitely one to look out for from the Serbian under-20s. Yeah, definitely. Sorry, just to jump in a quick a star at the tournament again. Two goals, two assists, the same as Andres Pereira. Is he at the same level, though, Joel? Or is he uh, better? I think he's better, but, um, you know, I don't want to step on your toes. <laughs> Go for it, mate. Go for it. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, there, there go his toes. Uh, let's put it that way. Um all right, Dave, that's some bad acting. Um, and and the, final qu- the final question here comes from Daniel Thompson. Daniel uh, says to us, have you ever, and this is a good question, have you ever fallen out of love with football? Uh, Dave, I'll come to you first. No, never. Interesting. Joel? It is difficult given uh, all the social issues that sometimes surround the game. I'm also definitely no. Um, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you consider it. Yeah, for a little while you get a little bit tired around it mm. but maybe you're not out of love yeah. if that makes sense yeah. uh anyway that concludes uh, part two let us know if you still love football uh and whether sometimes you have a little bit too much uh coming up in part three we're talking our subjects uh, part three and basically we're here with joel so it's interesting to ask him a couple of questions while we've got him on uh, my question my question one joel um how many seconds does Messi have <laughs> Um, well, at the moment, there's 4,500 or so of us on Twitter, so I think that's the best answer I can give. Yeah. I, I regret that name still, but, you know, you've got to stick with it. Earlier, I was trying to think of uh, other names for you, uh, and I, I came up with Messi Mins, and then, but that also then shortens Messi Seconds to Messi Sex. Um, and I was, just, <laughs> I was just worried for your future there. Uh, if that was the case. Anyway, uh, Dave and I were walking down the street earlier today and Dave said to me, you know what, Joel's actually quite a fascinating guy. I said, I don't believe it, Dave. He said, I'll prove it. Um, uh, so Dave's basically got a couple of questions for you. Uh, Dave, you can you can take charge of this bit. Yeah, brilliant. So Joel, obviously you, you work with uh, Bristol, Bristol City. Um, I just want to, you know, if you could give the listeners just a bit of an introduction of what you do there, how you got the job, is it fun? And, you know, just go for it. Firstly, um, you're both party fine yeah um, we know i i got the job having to apply to similar things for like two years beforehand um and failing miserably each time and with you know a, an improved cv hopefully um an improved application i i managed it this time i'm a performance analyst at uh, bristol city's academy um so i'll work with like uh under 14s or so up to under 18 sometimes under 12s um and code their matches, look at their matches, do some data analysis stuff, some medical data analysis. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying it. How much interaction do, How much interaction does that take on a daily basis with players? Or is it more kind of, you know, so obviously, you know, a lot of people don't know what the role of the coaching staff is. They tend to see coaching staff just standing around the side of the pitch uh, chatting. Um, and, you know, having even gone to places like St. George's Park, most of the stuff is done 
in-house behind closed doors very often mm. because you know essentially people feel like it's quite innovative um so how much of that is interaction with managers and players on on a daily basis um not a huge amount i'm a i'm a university student full-time yeah um so i'm there on uh, one or two weekdays a week uh definitely sundays so two or three days a week yeah um and I'll interact with coaches more than I do players because, um, yeah. uh, you know, I'm in a fairly junior position. Yeah, and that's, that's interesting in the first place. Uh, Dave, sorry. Moving on. So obviously you're a big man of the stats like myself. Um, <laughs> since you've obviously joined Bristol City, how, many, how much stats do they actually use? So have you, have you seen the stuff in terms of you, you mentioned, obviously, you're collecting player data from, from the youth levels. Do you know how much sort of stats that they use at, you know, first team level? You know, do they... In terms of like passing stats for a game, is that something that they're very much on? Are they on the data hype at the moment? Um, so I, I don't really interact with the first team too much. Um, obviously, there is a disparity in the amount of data you could have at first team level and academy level. Yep. Um, so the kind of data that's created for first team, as I'm sure you'll know, Dave, uh, is the stuff that they create at Opta, which is generally on the ball actions, um, which is very interesting and does a lot of stuff. Um, it is limited in its own way, but it, it's fantastic nonetheless. And pro zone data, uh, which again is very interesting, very difficult to analyze um, if you're doing it by yourself, which is why ProZone uh, offer their own services of, of data analysis um, and is limited in the quantity that you can get. Um, so at the Academy, it's uh, slightly less data focused because, you know, you, you can't get optostats for under 12s just yet. Um, <laughs> Maybe one day we'll get that. In terms of like the, the, the stats that you, you use, could you just give us some like metrics that you're looking at for these uh, sort of under 12s? You know, like you you, me you mentioned injury data. I was quite interested about that. Is that you know how how many times they pulled the hamstring in a season, or, or what, what are they looking at there? That that I can't say. Um, is uh, is it, that more you, like a fitness about, stuff in a way? Where you... the metrics that I'd be interested in at Bristol, or the metrics that I'd be interested in um, more generally in a first team environment? Let's go for a first team environment. What would First team environment. Um, so I think in many ways, <sighs> this is very nerdy, um, I think in many ways the philosophy of football statistics um, isn't always quite right. There's, there's um, a public obsession, <laughs> not obsession because that implies that it's like actively evil, um, but th there's perhaps a, a misconception that certain, um, certain counting numbers mean more than they actually mean. Yeah. Um, so assist numbers, for example, vary massively. Goalkeeping stats, uh, the goalkeeping stats that are um, public and, and well listened to generally mean nothing um, because save percentages drop from like 80% to 50% the next season all the time. Uh, it happens regularly. There is very, very little reliability from one season to the next season in the save percentage for any goalkeeper. Uh, for clean sheets, as Lawrence said earlier, there's so much context behind that that it's difficult to say. Um, so uh, I'd be looking more into um, the realms of advanced analytics um, so, for example, for goalkeepers, again, it's, it's still very difficult, but you might be looking at um, a more top-down approach like goal impact or like uh, Dan Altman's um, shots model, although I'm not sure it works for goalkeepers. Um, but also something around expected goals, which is basically like assigning a probability to a particular shot based on like the distance that it is from goal, the type of shot it is etc. Um, it's not very good at the individual shot level, but when you aggregate those, it's really interesting. And so when you look at those for goalkeepers, you can start to adjust the type of shots they're getting. Um, and then you can maybe look at a better 
player rating. Do, do, um, do, just just from your, I mean, from your guys' experience, does that mean that you're seeing a change in the positioning of, say, goalkeepers? Depending on what, I mean, do, you know, do you when you're watching a match, you must obviously be watching with a slightly analytical eye. Are you seeing a difference in, say, I don't know, maybe uh, I don't know how much you watch Liverpool, but you know, I mean, Mignolet before and after coming back. Um, before and or, after Gary Neville essentially yeah <laughs> it's interesting. Um, yeah it's interesting uh, it's something that's difficult to quantify because you need the tracking data um, and some yeah. people have done it brilliantly there's one guy on Twitter I think it's Football Fact Man but I, I can't remember exactly who did a brilliant brilliant analysis on goalkeeping positioning um, like you said but the, the data isn't really readily, re- av- readily available, available yeah. sorry yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, in, terms of, in terms of goalkeeping, that's one really interesting thing that I've sort of spotted this year. Um, one of you know, David De Gea has been mentioned quite a lot. It's you know the amount of catches and drop catches that he's made this season. Obviously, before this season, he was a punching goalkeeper and you know couldn't catch anything. Went with the double fists a lot. No confidence in, in in his own box. But this season, I think he's dropped one catch all year. So you know, it's a massive improvement for David De Gea that was probably dropping about you know six, maybe seven a season. Quite interesting stats in its own way. But going back to your, you know, the EXP goal models that you're saying, do you think there's enough data um, available at the moment to make the current model work? What current model? The expected goals model? So obviously the expected goals model, it's mapped on, you know, you you mentioned shot position and then probability that that shot's going to go in. One thing that I I definitely think is missing at the moment that that pretty much uh, rules the model out for me is that you don't take into consideration the position of the defenders. Obviously something that you can't get data-wise, but for me, I'm waiting to build that model. I'm waiting for that defensive position. I'm waiting for the goalkeeper position. I'm waiting for how much pressure you've got on the ball and these types of metrics. So what's your opinion there? So you're right. Um, You're right. That's definitely a factor that expected goals misses um, because you're looking purely at attacking actions. You're looking purely at um, the types of shots, where those shots come from, etc. And you're not looking at the other side of the coin. Um, I, I wouldn't discount it. Um, mostly because if you look at a, lo- a league like the Premier League, um, expected goals accounts for like 80% of the variance in, in league position, something like that, 82%. Crazy high numbers um, of how well these two correlate together. So clearly it means something. Um, defensive positioning is very interesting. I think you're completely right. Uh, but it's so difficult at the moment to get that tracking data. Even more difficult to look at the sensible ways, the good ways, the best practice um, for using it. I hope that one day it becomes more publicly available. At least I hope that one day I get to um, be able to use it. Um, but for now, there are better. There are uh, many more metrics than expected goals, and it would yeah. be stupid to ever just rely on that. But it is an interesting and it is a useful uh, way of measuring things. Def- definitely interesting to go and look up online as well if you're not up to, to speed on what expected goals is, as I would imagine a lot of people like myself um, if, you look up, uh, if you look up Michael Cayley, um, yeah. he th- so expected goals models vary depending on the statistician. Mm-hmm. Michael Cayley does a uh, fantastic um, going through his expected goals model because so a few of them are public. Mm-hmm. Dan Altman's spoken about it quite a lot and is very interesting on it. Yeah. Um, Ted Knutson doesn't post anymore, but but was brilliant on the subject. Um, yeah, there's lots you can read out there. He was great on the Really Wild Show. Um, I what I do <laughs> what I was interested in a few years ago. A few years ago, I got uh, invited to go to see the MLS, uh, not the ML, well, it was the MLS All Star Game. It was MLS All Star Game, but the MLS All Star Game. Um, and uh, one thing they were kind of premiering there, or that we got to see, was um, they were looking at a whole team tracking system, which meant that each player wear 
uh, a, a tracker, if you like, whilst out on the pitch. And you basically it would be mandatory within the, the, the league to do so. Um, it's going to be interesting to see whether they, obviously it didn't catch on straight away, but it, it's, it's an interesting idea in the first place. We got to speak to the people who uh, make the model. It, it, you know, it takes position out on the pitch. And I guess that's the kind of thing that if a whole league was forced to do it, it would be interesting to see where um, the understanding of uh, coaching goes with that, wouldn't it? Because, um, you know, as, as say you shut down the odd of one shot, you're, you're opening up other avenues that then people can attack down. So essentially it does, you never completely get rid of the goal threat, but you get it as low as you can. Is, is, am mm. I right in thinking that? Yeah, um, it is. It is incredibly interesting. Uh, you're completely right. It is very difficult because um, statistics in football, analytics in football are trying to look at things that the naked eye perhaps can't. Um, and they're trying to make judgments that uh, might be fallible at a human level and trying to reduce the level of fallibleness. Yeah, um, it, it, you can never negate it 100% if that makes no, sense. No, no, of course yeah. not. Of course not. Um, but with with some of the things that you might be talking about, um, you're looking at what is good in football. Um, and that's a very difficult question to answer. It's very difficult to think about... Um, a particular situation of how the defenders are organising themselves or the whole team, whatever, and decide that that is a good thing. That is a thing that you want. That is a thing that leads to wins. It's all very well saying that this particular thing is attractive, but if it doesn't correlate to wins, if you can't show how um, it brings about success in a team, then the link between them is is very questionable. Certainly for things like... Um, 2v3s, 3v1s, 2v1s on a pitch in attacking and defensive situations. It will be incredibly interesting and incredibly useful. Uh, for defensive setups, I'm sure you can look at uh, the symmetry of, of defensive setups and how they move together. Um, I'm sure there's lots of interesting stuff to go about there. But I think we might be uh, quite a long way off any of that being in the public sphere. Dave? One problem we have at the moment as well is the EU currently has a law that says you can't fit a GPS to a person, so we can't track these players. But there's definitely companies out there that are looking into uh, player tracking in terms of using cameras. It's only on um, the bloody pitch, Dave. I mean, it's not a pro. Yeah, it's not. It's not like you know. If I was in charge, Lars, I'd let everyone do it. But the problem is, I think <laughs> as soon as it comes out, the clubs are going to be very protective of that data because obviously that data you could spot weakness. You can spot if mm. a player lags after you know. 35 minutes if their, their, their sprint levels go down to, say, 50%, you know, a ball over the top of that man, you're clean for on goal. Clubs are going to be very defensive with this data. But, you know, it, like if Joel continues his work and, you know, with clubs, he might have his, his hands on it in the future. But, that, I mean, that's quite an interesting side to it, though, isn't it? Because, I mean, essentially, I, what I find interesting about both your answers, both of you as data analysts and me as not as one, is that, uh, although I do love a bit of data, um, the, the point would be with this is that actually there is a there's a big difference between the data itself and the narrative that then someone puts onto that, or there's a big difference in the data and then what someone tries to quickly turn around an article, so they need to throw a stat in there to do a point quote comment style of article. So mm. very often it's not it's not like you say, Joel. It's not necessarily the most fitting of stat to go with what you maybe want to make your point but some people are just need stats if that makes sense to to make points and maybe there's a difference between journalism and the statisticians but the public facing side of it 
um, is is one that's evolving. And that's interesting because, I mean, I had this conversation with a guy at Adidas a few years ago. We were saying, if you're giving statistics to fans live at the match, you know, if they can log on on their iPhone and see that, you know, Glenn Johnson isn't doing such a good job on the right-hand side for Liverpool, which maybe seems obvious to the naked eye for some people, then, um, you, you know, are they going to start booing him or does it change the way, mm. does it change the openness, the way that a club approaches it? Because it changes a whole culture, essentially. It's not just changing in, uh, in isolation, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, I don't mean to be too much of a dick about uh, Go ahead. Use of, uh, the use of stats in the public sphere. No, I mean what, I, what I've said previously. Yeah. Um, regardless of how they're used, uh, the very fact that stats are now commonly used in football media means that that interest is generated. It means that um, even if information is potentially in, in some places uh, misleading, um, it means that at least people are talking about it. At least people, some people um, will develop that interest. But I think that can only be a positive thing. Um, will it change the sport? I I, I think doomsday predictions are, are a bit too a bit too much. If you want to just cheer for your team, just cheer for your team. Um, the the decisions behind closed doors are um, are as uh, as secretive, if not less secretive than they were before. Because I imagine when you're bringing about a, a more forward thinking way of looking at football, you're also perhaps thinking about including fans. Like in Germany, where um, Dave was completely right in saying that uh, in some football stats, um, the football clubs are quite selfish in their use of those. But that's not so much true in Germany, where they share tapes of like everything. Um, they're very yeah. into that, aren't they? It, it, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's um, the thing, is the I, sharing I culture is different. Yeah. I hope it doesn't change the way we look at football. Um, football is an emotional spectacle. It should be an emotional spectacle. Um, and if you're interested in another way of looking at it, then, um, you know, fantastic. Well, Hopefully that, it doesn't take away from anyone else's enjoyment. Well, that's the interesting side, isn't it? Is, is it, it has the potential to be an emotional spectacle, but that doesn't mean hmm. that for everyone it is. You know, you can you can approach it in another way. I, I loved the quote from Barney Rone who said, and I think Jonathan Wilson has said as well, who said, they just love a nil-nil. Um, and the, the emotion that they get from a nil-nil, whereas other people would say that's, the, you know, one of the least emotional uh, results that they believe they can get, just because, you know, you don't get the emotional relation of a goal, etc. Mm. Um, I, I mean, Dave, we probably have to draw this to a close now because we've probably been going for about four hours. Um, yeah. But, but in, I mean, I just want to know what... what uh, what statistic do you, do you do either of you have a favorite statistic that you're is kind of your go-to thing <laughs> do you have I, a go-to like stat it. is it xg is it <laughs> <laughs> i love a good chance create you know creating chances and key passes and assists you know, yeah. obviously they're hated by the statistics community but i think there's real trends in that data when you drill it down to um you know season on season where the chances are coming from is this the first time that they've you know, got to that level? That's, that's for me. I, I like looking at trends more than, than a certain stat, but if it was one stat, it'd be chances created. And Joel? Um, I, I don't hate chances created and key passes at all. I think. <laughs> Why are you being a I dick, Joel? You do uh, hate it. Come on, you don't <laughs> be a dick. No, I, I think they're much more interesting than something like assists are. Um, so it's a good answer. I'd go for goal impact is my favourite. Um, what, what, is, what is goal impact? What, is that, what does that jargon mean? <laughs> um, so goal impact is something set up by a guy called Jörg Seidel, um, who's out in Germany, in Hamburg, I think. Um, and he has this wonderful, wonderful system. Um, it's a, I think he also uses it professionally, but it is publicly available. So it's not a purely academic exercise. Um, 
he has this wonderful system of rating players according to essentially the goal difference that they contribute to a team per 90 minutes. It's adjusted for all sorts of things. Um, it's adjusted for age, age curve, uh, home, away, league quality, absolutely everything. Yeah. Um, and for me, uh, th- there are probably measures that do better than it. Um, perhaps Daniel Altman again, uh, Ted Nutson do some brilliant work, which, which might uh, surpass it. Or uh, I, I, I don't mean like surpass it in future, I mean already above it. Yeah. But um, as a way of measuring everything, as a way of measuring leadership, as a way of measuring determination, adaptability, the contribution to a team outside of counting numbers um, where you have to create a narrative, if you're looking at something top down, just how much this player contributes to a team, for me, you're looking at... Um, for one single number, if you ask me to go for that, yeah. you're looking at the closest you can get in one metric um, to an objective way of looking at football. That's very interesting. Um, th- there are two of my favourite stats. Uh, one's results. I fucking love results. <laughs> it's how many goals have gone in and whether yeah, you've won or lost. Mate. That's the only thing that fucking matters for me, mate, at the end of the day. That's the only stat that I need when I pick up the <laughs> Telegraph or the Sun on a Sunday, uh, and also uh, APP, which is Adams per podcast. Uh, and that can be directly translated into JPP, which is Joel's per podcast. And we've had 1.0 of those. Let's put it that way. And maybe we've had 1.5, because I feel like this has been a really good podcast from Joel. Um, oh, it's been lovely. Thank you so much. Uh, hopefully we'll get you back soon, Joel, because that was really insightful. And I'm sure it would be there, a pleasure. there'll be more questions from people, um, from people who maybe... Uh, haven't spoken about this or maybe are studying a similar thing to you or uh, just have their own thoughts on statistics in the first place i imagine one of the comments will be along the lines of statistics are bullshit it doesn't really matter and the rest will uh, probably be very complimentary um, statistics are bullshit that yes oh. but they're a bullshit you can get a degree for now so uh, hey, back off, yeah? Yeah. brilliant answer uh, D- Dave, your job is worthless to me. Um, <laughs> Squawk, Squawk is a great company. Um, anyway, uh, th- it's been wonderful to have you guys. Thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, if people want to find you online, Joel, where do they go? Uh, YouTube.com forward slash Messy Seconds mm-hmm. or Twitter.com forward slash Messy Seconds. Um, if you're into the football without the me, uh, then Messy Minutes also does a good job of that on Twitter. Very interesting. Uh, and of course, uh, Dave, where can people find you? Oh, it's classic, isn't it? Just that Squawker Dave on Twitter. And the rest of the links are there. Go there, like the picture, get involved. Yes, uh, like the picture, I believe. I like the bigger picture we're painting here. If you want to find me online, uh, go to at Lozcast, L-O-Z-C-A-S-T, and uh, come ask questions. We'd love to hear more from you guys. Um, Hopefully we'll see you again soon. Joel, it's been a real pleasure to have you. Um, Thanks a lot for coming on. Not at all. Thank you so much for having me. Best of luck to Bristol next season. Um, it's going to be good when you guys get promoted and uh, we can say we called it here first Um, Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business like that let's put it online and see what happens stage and the site is live that we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage thanks you're all set that count it up and ship it around the globe stage this one's going to Thailand and that Wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Anyway, uh, we'll see you again soon. Thanks a lot for joining us on the front three. Adam will be back uh, to join the regular service again next week. Uh, But have a good one until then. 